ready for Easter? Um, before I jump into our sermon, let me just cover a few things because it's a big week for us. First off, if you're a visitor, which we got a few today, uh, my name is Luke Gradless. I have the great honor of being one of the pastors here at Harmony Baptist Church. I'm uh, also a pastor here with this man, Joe Canales, who helps uh, our Spanish congregation, and together we lead this church, and it's a great honor for both of us. So we are so glad that you are here today. Uh, let me cover a few dates that you need to know for this week, because it's a crazy week for us. It's Easter week. I told you last week, for pastors, that's as close to we get to the Super Bowl as anything. All right? So we are hyped up this week. We're taking our Red Bull. We're eating Wheaties in the morning. We are psyched and ready, because it's Easter week. All right? So uh, we got a lot of things. Friday at 2.30, if you're lucky enough to have a good Friday off, Friday at 2.30, Brother Joe's going to be leading a good Friday uh, worship service here, 2.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. So if you can make that, we'd love to have you. Saturday, we're doing our annual Easter picnic. If you haven't been before, we get some good barbecue from our Back Row Baptist barbecue team. And when I say it's good barbecue, it is good barbecue. In fact, it's one of the hardest things for me to recruit people to come to it because I want there to be lots of leftovers so that I can take them home with me. But no, it'd be great if you guys came. I'll have the, back, the barbecue. We'll have uh, egg hunts for the kids. We'll have some games out. We've got a big bounce castle coming. So just a good fun time for you to come, fellowship, celebrate. This is an awesome time of year for us to remember the power and the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are asking members if you would bring either a side dish or a dessert. That would be great. Uh, then Sunday morning, we start our Easter festivities at 7.30 a.m. We're going to meet outside at the pavilion, and we're going to have our sunrise service. At 8.30, we're going to have a nice breakfast. At 9.30, we'll go to regular Spanish service or Sunday school, depending on which one you go to. And then at 11, we'll have worship service. So please keep those dates in mind. Um, also, please invite people. We've got a bunch of cards at the back that give our website, our address. They invite people. Pick some up on the way out. Um, also, anybody here live in Greenway? No, no one. If you're, if you're close by, you should be getting a mailer from us uh, this week with all that information on it. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And also, please just let me know if you got one because I paid for them. I'm trusting they went out, but I don't know if I'll actually see any proof. So I'd love for you guys to tell me if you actually got one or not. All right, so big dates there. Uh, Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, uh, we're going to have our regular choir practice and Wednesday night Bible group, but we are going to do something a little bit different. Uh, if you haven't been to our church, we like to do things for the children's shelter uh, in San Antonio. We are going to be putting together Easter bags for the kids uh, and then dropping those off this week so the kids get a little something this week with eggs and candy. Uh, we'll also get some stuff prepared for this Saturday. So if you can make it out Wednesday night, we'd love to have your help. Great opportunity to just do little things and make a little bit of light in people's lives. All right? If you have questions, seek me out, seek Joe out, seek Diane out, and we can fill in any of those gaps for you guys. All right? Oh, and then at the end of the month, we will have family worship day. So if you haven't done that before, that is where we don't have children's church. Everybody's together, and we worship as a family one Sunday a quarter. Uh, it's, a, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you see your bulletins, it says the 26th. It's actually the 30th. All right? All right, are we done with that boring stuff? Are we ready? You guys got your seatbelts on? You ready to rock and roll? All right, let's do this. So today's Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday is an awesome day in the history of the Bible because it's, it's one of those days where Jesus is acknowledged for one of the few times as the king that he is. But it's also this really sad day because you realize that behind that celebration 
was a lot of shallowness. There wasn't a, really, a lot of depth there. Um, I used to work with this guy, and it was funny because uh, we, we had a boss who was kind of, um, what's the right way to say it? Just an interesting character to work with. And so we had to strategize a lot when we would communicate to him on, on what we, you know, how to position it, how to pitch it the right way, how to get him on board. And what I loved about this guy I worked with is we'd sit there and we'd strategize and we'd game plan and he'd be like, I'm with you, man. I got your back. We're going to convince him of this. I'm with you all the way. We'd go into the meetings and I was always foolish enough to be the pitch guy. And so I'd start the pitch. And as soon as the boss started getting negative on it, literally the guy would start to move his chair. And once the boss was like, this is a stupid idea, I looked to my buddy and he'd be like, yeah, man, I don't know why we thought this would work. And I'd be like, what happened, man? A second ago, we're Lone Ranger and Tonto and you're like, we got this. Five seconds later, you're turning on me like, yeah, Luke, that was a really bad idea. But you know what's funny about that is you run into that in life, don't you? You run into life where either one people flip-flop on you or the world seems to flip-flop on you. Have you ever had those days where like, in 10 seconds, the whole day flips from good to bad? You're like, how can that happen? How can it so quickly change from being such a great day to such a bad day? Or every once in a while, you get the opposite, right? Start like a terrible day, and then one or two things happen, and you're like, man, you know what? Today was a pretty awesome day. Amen. The key for us to understand about life is there is no consistency in it at all. There is no consistency in what the world offers us. And as Christians, that's a very important thing for us to pay attention to because what God doesn't care about is the conditions. So here's what I mean by that. When God gives you all this instruction about how He wants you to be, when He talks about you as believers having a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, when He talks about you worshiping Him and honoring Him, when He talks about you going outside these walls and showing people that you love God and you love people, He will never say, only when it's convenient. Only when it's a good day. Only when it's easy. When He says those things, He says them for every day, every situation, every circumstance. And so the funny thing about us as Christians is often is we can be good Christians when we're rested and we have money and life is going well and we're not stressed out and we're not tired and we're not sick and everything's going right for us. The problem is, is those are like two days out of the whole year. So it's all those other days where you have a million excuses for why you're busy, you're tired, you're sleepy, you're broke, you're sick, you have this going on, you're overloaded, where it's in those days it becomes difficult to be what God wants His people to be. And so today I want us to look at a huge story that talks about this inconsistency and how do you and I deal with those things spiritually. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19 with me. Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 28. Now in Luke chapter 19, we are at the very last act of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now if you're not familiar with Jesus' ministry, it's an amazing ministry because it's three years in duration. So I just want you to think about that for a second. Jesus, the man who has changed the world more than any other human being ever, never ruled a kingdom, Never had a political position, never had an army, never won a war. 
He was only publicly known for three years, and to be really truthful with you, 18 months of that was dedicated almost completely to his disciples. In 18 months, this man changed the course of the world. In 18 months. It's amazing. And here we come to the end of that three-year ministry, and we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem for the last time. Now, Jesus' earthly ministry is an interesting thing. It's a roller coaster. In some places, he is hailed as a king. He is the Messiah. He's a miracle worker. He's unbelievably wise, kind, and powerful. In some places, they point at him and go, you work for Satan. We don't want to deal with you. Get out of our faces and leave us alone. And so for his whole entire ministry, there's been no consistency in how the people treat him. One day he's hailed as king, the next they're calling for him to be dead. And so as he rides into Jerusalem for the final time, I want you to pay attention to the setting and to the circumstances. In verse 28, And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So, when we look at this story, there's a few things to catch here. And there's some that you've probably missed when you've heard this story before that I think are unbelievably cool. The first is, is why does Jesus think it's so important to ride on this colt that has never been sat on before? The reason is, is this has been prophesied in the Old Testament. So when you look at the, the character of Christ, and you look at the fact that he fills this role as Messiah, the Savior, this was something the Jewish people had been waiting for for thousands of years. This wasn't an unknown concept to them. From the very beginning of time, God had been promising Abraham, one will come that will save his people and that will restore life. Just as Adam brought sin into the world, another will come that will bring salvation. And so for thousands of years, people have been waiting for this, studying this, looking for the signs. And Jesus, he knew those. This sign here, is one of the final signs. It was prophesied that he would ride into the city of David and he would ride in on a colt. So here's what I want you to understand. A lot of times we look at this and go, Jesus, what a nice guy. You know, what a gentle soul. And to be honest, I can't stand that because it's only one component of his character. And in fact, in our culture, I think we've so focused on Jesus, the nice, kind guy, that most men don't find any connection to him at all. 
In fact, when you talk to most men about being a Christian, here's what they hear. You want me to be a nice, quiet, risk-adverse guy. Now, moms, when you raised your boys, does that sound like anything they ever strove to be? Do your boys strive to be quiet, risk-adverse, gentle souls? Most of them not, right? We were laughing the other day because we were sitting on the other side of the room and we saw Jake, who's well, almost two, grabbing pillows and setting them up on the floor. And, and he was very serious. And we're like, what is he, what's he doing? So he set the pillows up, then he climbed up onto the couch, he looked at us and jumped off onto the pillows. And of course, Nicole has a heart attack. I'm laughing. I think it's hilarious. And I was like, that is exactly the spirit of boys. What can I possibly create, even in the safest environment possible, that will bring some risk, some danger, and some kind of excitement to my life? And so a lot of these men grow up and they hear stories of Jesus and they're like, that's great. Glad he was a nice guy. Probably not on my top ten things to be a nice guy. And what they miss is, is he's not just a nice guy. At some moments, he was unbelievably compassionate. At some moments, he could show love in ways nobody else could. But what most people miss is this is one of the most powerful, bold, and brazen spirits the world has ever known. Jesus knew the prophecies. He knew riding in on that colt, he knew exactly what the Pharisees would think that meant. He was basically declaring himself the Messiah. And he did it in public and in front of these men that he knew hated him. He was basically saying, I know you don't want me to do this. I'm going to do it right in front of you. Because I'm on a mission from God. And if you think you people are going to stop me, you don't understand who I am. Amen. And so what's sad is, is some of us read this and we're like, oh, he rode it on a donkey. Cool. No, it is cool. This is basically a declaration of war. This is, you want me to be quiet? You want me to fade away? I will not. Amen. I will speak for my God, and I will do what I've been called to do. Now, the beautiful thing of this is in this moment, the people understand it. So as they see him coming in, what do they do? They start throwing their cloaks on the ground. They start taking palm branches and laying them on the ground. You and I, we don't understand this because we don't ever do this. This was a traditional thing that you did for a conquering king on his return from victorious battle. So when a king brought the army back into town and they had just won, this is how the people would greet him. Throwing cloaks on the ground, laying palm trees, basically saying, you are of such honor, your feet should never touch dirt. This is what you mean to us. And I love it. The Pharisees, they sense that he's doing this in front of them. They go, you need to silence your people. What they're basically saying is like, you've started something, you have an opportunity, we're giving you to be quiet. And I love his response. If I silenced them, simply the rocks would sing. You guys don't understand what's happening here, and if you think you can get in the way of it, you don't understand. I love that boldness. It's so funny because we don't ever have pictures of this. Like I, just Google pictures of Jesus, and you always get like, calm Jesus, petting a sheep. Right? Kind of looks like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Right? You never get like Braveheart warrior Jesus. You never see the pictures of him flipping tables in the temple. You never see him picking fights with people. It's just those calm, collected Jesus. And we miss this. This is the spirit of power that we talk about. 
This is the spirit of power that we want. We're boldly and brazenly we proclaim, I belong to God, I will accomplish His will, do not get in my way. I love that. Now here's the sad part. In a moment when you superficially look at this event, you go, this is so cool. Jesus, who for so much of His career has had people hating on Him, for so much of his career has had people claiming that he works for Satan and spewing lies about him. In this one moment, it seems like all the flocks treat him the way he should have always been treated. He rides in, he is cheered, he is proclaimed, he is glorified, he is honored. And there's part of your heart that goes, oh, that's so cool. I don't know about you, but like that's one of those moments where like, if I could just have been there, oh, that would have been cool. It would have been amazing to just be there, to just be part of that group, to be able to yell Hosanna. But here's the problem. It was empty. For most of the people there, this was empty. It kind of reminds me, like, have you ever noticed when your sports team's doing really good how many more fans they have? You ever notice that? When the sports team's doing real good, all of a sudden, like, everybody's a fan of that team. Why is that? Because people like winners. People like winners. And so when people perceive someone as a winner, they go, oh, I'm going to attach myself to this. What's funny is when that team starts to lose, guess what starts to happen? Oh, I wasn't really a fan. No, I didn't really like them, you know. We flip sides so quickly. Have you ever Bibles flip with me to Matthew 27? In Matthew 27, we're going to start in verse 15. We fast forward six days. Think about that for a second. Six days. Six days ago, Jesus rides in and is treated like a victorious king. Six days. Six days later, this happens. Jesus has already been arrested. He's already been tried by the Jews. But the Jews realize that they can call him guilty all they want. But they're not in charge. The Romans are. So the Jews can get their courts together all they want and say, Jesus is guilty. We don't like him. He's a bad man. It doesn't mean anything. Until the Roman Empire allows them to punish him, it means nothing. So the Jews bring Jesus to Pilate, who is the Roman governor, and they pressure him to declare him guilty and to have him killed. They're tired of this man. He's become too powerful. He's got too many people following them. He's a threat to their position and their power. Now Pilate's struggling because Pilate's like, I don't see any crime to which I can kill this guy. I don't just kill people randomly. Why have you brought him to me? And several times Pilate tries to get out of this. He tries to pass the buck. He tries to separate himself from this. And what we're about to read is one of those things he tries to do to get Jesus out. Now at the feast, the governor, this is Pilate, was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. So remember, this is all happening around the time of Passover. And so all these people are in Jerusalem. The Roman government had set up a, a tradition that for, to show mercy and peace and kindness to the Jews that on this day they would let one prisoner be freed by public vote. And so Pilate's looking at this and he's going, you know what? Maybe this is a way out. Jesus obviously is powerful or popular. Six days ago they threw a party for the guy. 
I don't really want to kill him because I don't think he's guilty. But I also don't care enough to fight the Jewish authorities. Let me see if I can use this tradition to get Jesus out of this. Look at verse 16. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, That what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. I want you to think about this for a second. Do you understand the scenario that's set up here? The words used to describe Barabbas are similar to the word terrorist. And so Barabbas, for whatever motivations we don't know, was uh, just a man who wreaked havoc in the community. So Pilate sets this either-up decision for the people, and he goes, there's Jesus, who you guys call the Christ, a religious teacher, or there's Barabbas the terrorist. What do you guys want? Now, I'm assuming Pilate thought this was going to be an easy vote. I'm assuming he thought it was going to be Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish religious leaders, they started building up this momentum to scream for it to be Barabbas that was freed. In fact, what's funny is Pilate seems so shocked by it that he actually asked a second time. No, really, who do you want me to free? Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd cries for Barabbas. And even worse, the crowd cries for him to be crucified. And brothers and sisters, what we miss, crucifixion was saved for the worst of the worst. You weren't just a petty thief when you got nailed to a cross. You had to do unbelievably terrible things to get nailed to a cross. Now, what I love about this story is it shows so strongly the consistency of character and how it misses in so many people. One, you have the crowd, who six days ago is shouting, Hosanna. Six days later, they're screaming, Crucify him. That's how people sway. It's how people sway. In fact, you know what's scary about this? Is it hasn't changed. You know what's funny to me over this whole political season? Whichever way you lean, I love to have conversations with people about the things they're passionate about. You know what I realize with most people? They had no idea why they were voting for who they voted for. Either side. If you'd ask them, like, so what does your candidate stand for? They'd give you these soft things, like pro progress, change. Security. No, no, no. Like, what's his policies that are going to get you there? What are her policies that are going to get you there? What do you think about her foreign trade policies? What do you think about his foreign trade policies? And why do you think they're different? You know what most people's eyes do when you do that? Glaze over. I, I, don't, I, don't, really, I don't really know. So then why are you so passionate about this? You're unbelievably passionate about something that you literally have not studied. You can't talk to educated about. What is going on here? 
It's the same mentality of these people. They weren't screaming Hosanna six days earlier because they understood what the Messiah was or who Jesus was. They did it because that's what the popular thing to do was. And they weren't screaming crucified for six days later because all of a sudden their picture of him had changed. It wasn't like in that six days all of a sudden Jesus just became a different person. It was because at that moment that was the popular thing to do. People in large groups are easily swayed by culture and by what is popular and by what is applauded. What I love about this is it doesn't only impact the general population. Think about Pilate himself. Pilate rules Jerusalem with an army. He could literally flatten it if he wanted to. He's standing there as the most powerful man in that city going, I don't think this Jesus guy did anything. Now don't get me wrong, he doesn't think Jesus is the Messiah. He's not worshiping Jesus. He's not a good, holy man. But he looks at him and goes, I don't really see any reason to kill him. This kind of sounds like your guys' issue. But does he stop? Does he put his foot down and say, you're not killing him. No. Can't do it without me. Not going to happen. No. He sees the crowd. He sees the buildup. He sees culture shift on him. And he goes, I don't want to be caught in the crosshairs here. So you know what? I wash my hands. You guys do whatever you want to do. What a coward. What a weak person. But you know what? be honest, that's a lot of us. I remember in high school I had a buddy and um, we got along great one-on-one because at that time I was still pretty strong in my religious convictions. I tried to live a certain way. I tried to make sure I wasn't falling into a lot of the traps that happened in high school. And what I was like about my buddy is he was one of the few guys who was the same way. He, he tried to live by the same values, the same morals. But there was a big difference between us. When we go to a party or hang out with people and they'd ask us to do something which we felt wasn't right, I would say no and I'd say why. I'd tell them, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe God would want me to partake in that. I don't believe that honors him. I'm not going to do it. My buddy, you know what he'd always do? He'd make up an excuse. Oh, well, you know what? Not, you know what? not tonight, man. I really want to drink, but I got, I got a big party or I got a big test tomorrow. It's just not, not going to work for me. But next week, catch me, man. And we'll definitely do that. What's funny is he had the conviction to do the right thing, but he didn't have the conviction to stand up for it. And you know what? There's a lot of us that are like that. We know what's right or wrong. We know what God asks us to do. But man, we get terrified if anybody ever puts us on the spot and wants to know why we believe what we believe or why we're not doing what everybody else is. And man, we get quiet. We get real quiet. There were some people in that crowd that day that knew what was happening to Jesus was not right. They didn't stop. And so as we look at this story, there's a couple things I want you paying attention to. One, who would you be in this setting? I pray you're not one of the people who would have been sharing Hosanna and then six days later praying, crucify him. I pray that won't be you. You know what? I think there's some of us, not maybe in this building, but definitely who call ourselves Christians, that would be there. And so I want to give you three things to pay attention to as you think about consistency of character. Because guess what? This is something you're going to face in this life. 
Forget good days and bad days. Just being a Christian in America that believes this book is getting harder. It's getting harder. Because there was a day in time where most Americans thought there was some value in this thing. That day has passed. For most, this is a myth. It's fiction. It's a nice book that can tell some cute stories, maybe has a little bit of truth in it. But sure as heck, not a guide to life is what they'll tell you. And so if you choose to look at that book and realize that is the Word of God, it is 100% without failure, it is directly from His worth to my heart, and I will live it every day of my life, people will push back on you. So how do you have the boldness to be consistently the Christian that God asks you to be? The first place is, is this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. He doesn't change. Do you understand how wonderful that statement is? He doesn't change. The same guy that died on that cross for you, who spilt his blood for you, who rose you up from the depths of hell, washed you clean, and put you on a throne next to him, he doesn't change. That means no matter how much you fail, no matter how much culture changes, Christ will stand by your side and go, this is my child. Oh, that's so good to know. Because you know why? Most relationships aren't like that. Most relationships do change. Most relationships, there is things that you can do to break them and they'll never be the same again. How beautiful to know that He will not flip on us. What He said then stands today and will stand tomorrow. The same boldness He declared in that moment looking at those Pharisees going, I am the Messiah. He will declare by your side each and every day of your life if you will invite Him to be right there with you. And so we need to understand that, that God doesn't change. Now what's funny is we try to change Him sometimes. Because some of the stuff we like, and some of them are like, that's kind of difficult to live with. If I could just get Him to change on this, it'd be nice. You do not want your God to change. Because if He changes on any one thing, guess what that means? You don't have any security in all the things He said. The security in Christ comes from knowing that Him and His Father are unchangeable forces of good. They're unchangeable forces of love. And we've got to cherish that. No matter what people tell you, that word doesn't move. doesn't move. Second thing we've got to look at is we've got to look at what He asks us to do. Look at Matthew 27, 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, your work doesn't change. Good day, bad day, whatever culture you live in, wherever I put you, whatever happens, your work doesn't change. Your work is to spread the gospel. Your work is to be witnesses to the power, love, and self-discipline that Christ exhibited in His life. Your job is to go tell people about the life-changing relationship that you have with Him. And no circumstance changes that. Not a single one. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. doesn't mean if you're healthy or sick. doesn't matter anything. That work is your work always. If you have a breath in your lungs, your job is to glorify God. Don't forget that. Do not forget that. 
He doesn't change. The world doesn't change. And the third thing is, is our hope. Hebrews 13, 8. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Amen. What is God saying? He's saying the promise doesn't change. Your hope doesn't change. He's saying, I've told you that throughout anything that happens, at the end of the day, here's what will go happen. Christ will come again. He will restore His people. He will wipe out sin. And He will bring a life that people have never seen before. That is the promise. No matter what changes in your day-to-day, that promise never changes. What I want you to think about today is I want you to think about a couple things. One, the consistency of your relationship with Christ. Do you treat Jesus the same no matter where you're at? I've had a few disappointing moments in my life where I run into people who I had known in church and then I run into them in a non-church setting and I realize, oh, you are two different people. There's a church you and there's a non-church you. And what's funny for a lot of those people that are inconsistency of character, I can always tell because as a pastor, as soon as they see me not at church, it's like, uh-oh. Can I avoid eye contact? Can I, you know, just, hey, nice to see you. I got to go. Right? They do not want to have a conversation. They don't want me to meet the friends they're with. And they sure as heck don't want me to pay attention to what they're doing. Are you that kind of person? If these brothers and sisters in this room saw you at different places during your week, would any of them stop and go, oh, I didn't know that? Would there be any of your actions this week that you'd be ashamed to lay at the feet of Christ and go, this was me representing you? And we're all going to slip, we're all going to fall, don't get me wrong. But there's a difference between slipping and falling when you were trying and slipping and falling because you were running the wrong way. There's a big difference there. And so what you got to think about in your week is, are there moments where you slip and fall because, man, you had no intention to be near Him? You wanted to be as far away as possible. See, brothers and sisters, what Christ is looking for is He's looking for people who will pursue Him at all times through all things. And the reason is, He did the same for us. He was our Lord and Savior that day they shouted Hosanna, and He was our Lord and Savior the day they nailed Him to a cross. He was praying for us the day we worshipped Him, and He was praying for us the day we were cheering His death. And the same promise that He has always given, that one day all this pain will be washed away, always stands. I was reminded today of how dark the world can get. Everybody pay attention to the news this morning? In Egypt, 37 Christians were killed because it was Palm Sunday. ISIS targeted Christian churches and set off bombs. They killed people just because they worshiped Jesus. It's funny, you and I, we don't really understand that. We freely come to church, we put it on Facebook, we put our Jesus signs up, we got fish on the back of our car, we listen to K-Love, we wear Christian shirts, we have crosses around our neck, and yeah, every now and then you catch a snide remark, but that's not persecution. Persecution is Palm Sunday, you go to church to worship your God and people blow your worship up. 
Not because you've done anything to them, but because they don't like who you're worshiping. I share that with you because one, we need to be praying for those brothers and sisters who understand persecution in ways you and I can't even imagine. And we also need to pay attention to it because it's coming. There will be a day where it will be hard for you to say that I am a Bible-believing Christian and I hold true to this word. And so right now, what each and every one of you needs to ask is, are you building the type of character that when it is no longer popular or easy to stand by this, you will? Will you plant yourself by the river of truth as an immovable tree saying, I ain't going anywhere. This is God's word and I ain't moving. Or will you sway with where culture takes you? It's funny, Easter is my favorite time of year, even over Christmas. Christmas is the beginning of the story. It's that moment where the light first flips on that Christ is coming. Easter is when He declares He is one. Easter is when we realize we know how this finishes. Easter is when Satan realized all the games he wanted to play, all the perversion he wanted to put in this world, all the hurt that he wanted to bring people would not matter. Because Christ was king and he claimed his people. But similarly, it's also a sad time for me. Because there's a whole lot of people getting ready for next weekend that don't know anything about Jesus. For them, Easter is chocolate eggs, candy, egg hunts with the kids, throwing on some nice clothes, hanging out with family. But yet, we're all celebrating Easter. No, we're not. Some of us are celebrating family time with candy. Some of us are celebrating the risen Lord. Very different things. As you sit in your seat today, ask yourself what you'll be celebrating next week. Ask yourself if you were standing there on that day when everybody was shouting Barabbas, would you have been shouting Jesus? Ask yourself if you're really truly ready to stand against the culture that says your Christ is wrong. He died on that cross for us. All He asks us to do is to stand by His side. Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. He is always there. He is always ready. And He will always be victorious. Don't forget that. I'm going to ask Maria to come up. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up. We're going to close with just a time of prayer and worship. If you have anything on your heart that you feel like you need to pray with, feel free to come up and pray with us. And brothers and sisters, if you're sitting there going, you know what, I've heard about Jesus, but I don't know Him. I want to meet Him. Please seek me out. Either up here or after service. Please seek me out.